disagree, but I don't agree. Well, see, I love going just to the movies, and to be honest, I will do it by myself, which apparently is what's going to have to happen. Yeah. But I really want to see the new Jurassic Park movie, because I've been, like, this huge Jurassic Park fan literally since the first movie came out. No, I, I love them. I liked the first one that was in, like, 94. I haven't seen any of the new ones with Chris Pratt. Like, well... Because there's, like, this is the third one, right? No, I think it's just the s- second one with him. Shit. Um, I don't know. It might be the third. No, I think it's the second. I think it's the second. But um, he looks so good Oh, in my God. Like, yes. Can we just talk about his body and how amazingly <laughs> gorgeous he is? Absolutely. Well, cause, That was, like, why I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, but That totally was basically fair. the only reason. Because I don't like movies. I don't know. There's something about just sitting there for, like, three hours. Okay. Two hours. And just being like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. I just don't like sitting there, like, not doing anything for two hours. Which is funny, because again, favorite movie's Titanic, which is 300 hours long. I know. Well, and like... I'll watch the shit out of that. I get so immersed in the stories, and I love watching movies, and just taking a pause from reality. But one thing I was going to say before we get completely off the topic of Chris Pratt, it's kind of like they had to have another sexy person to somehow try to replace Jeff Goldblum in the first one. And oh, please. Jeff Goldblum is still sexy. I know. Oh, <laughs> he looks so good. Always so good. I but think he looks I think he looks better now, actually. I, I, I do, too. I like his hair better yeah. now. Like, the gray. Fucking mm. love Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. Me, too. Because in the... I don't know. I feel like in the 90s, he was, like, cute nerdy. And now he's just, like, hi. He's, like, hot nerdy now. Still nerdy, but, like, sexy hot nerdy. Absolutely. So, anyway, um, I guess on that note, uh, this is episode 10. Episode 10, and I can't can't believe it. I can't either. Already episode 10. Yeah. But welcome, everyone who is listening. Hey, um, guys. On... I don't know, probably, I think iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play are, yep. are th- those are our biggest ones, but I know there's other secret apps that we find out every day that we're also on. I know, you guys surprise us every day with how you are finding the podcast and listening to it. I know we're looking into getting on Stitcher here yes. shortly, so possibly by the time you're listening to this, it will also be available on Stitcher. We just want to mm-hmm. make sure that we can be everywhere y'all are so you can yeah, find us. and kinda, You know, be, be on every avenue that people listen to podcasts. Um, I do want to take a minute, though, to talk about our Patreon that yes. we're on. Um, so, our Patreon is just um, Blood and Wine Pod. Cast. Blood and Wine Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and on it, we release our murder minis uh, once every couple weeks. Uh, just a quick... Um, I say quick. Sometimes they're like almost 40 minutes. But... <laughs> I mean, they're still much shorter than a full episode, and it, we just talk about either a case that wasn't large enough to bring into a full episode, or possibly something that happened recently mm-hmm. in the news that we found out about and just want to share with you guys, and it's something that is special for Patreon subscribers only. Mm-hmm. So if you want to listen to those murder minis, as well as see some other content uh, please go to our Patreon, support us, 
any funds that you donate, even just, you know, a dollar a month, it really does help. And mm-hmm. we're working towards bettering the technology, bettering um, my chair, <laughs> which I mean, I know I say that every time we bring up Patreon, but literally it's true. Also, yeah. it's We've... just an opportunity to oh, merch. That was yeah. the other thing. I really, really want to do merch. Oh, I have same. like this idea of these enamel pens of our logo. I'm like obsessed with enamel pens and I want to get some and put them on my denim jacket. Oh my God. Okay. Cause when I think enamel pens, I immediately go back to being 13 and going hot topic and just, I had a, uh, like a canvas messenger bag that was just covered in them. Yeah. Oh God. Well, don't shit all over it. Cause it's awesome. No, I, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's great. I just, Got a flashback, but, um, but we have a bunch of different tiers of rewards. So, you know, again, you start as low as a dollar and that gets you access to all of our exclusive content. Yes. Uh, moving up to, um, $15 a month, which I believe like you get to be the director. You can pick yeah. a topic. We will love you eternally. I mean, we love all of you eternally. It's true. But there's, I mean, there's a couple levels in between, but just yeah. go to our Patreon and check it out. I've tweeted about it a couple of times, so you can find the link there. But it's just patreon.com slash blood and wine podcast. <laughs> and go check it out. Yeah. Also, be sure to subscribe Yes, on those channels that we listed earlier. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Soon Stitcher, just make sure and subscribe and you'll be alerted when we release new episodes, which is every Tuesday. Yeah, we release episodes every Tuesday. They go live at like 12.01 yep. in the morning. So about as early on Tuesday as you can get. Can't imagine most of y'all listening to them right when they come out. Probably waiting till you wake up. But uh, but yeah, um, make sure to subscribe to those. And it's it's what I found the easiest way to kind of always access it. I have like... 10 podcasts I'm subscribed to on iTunes because I have an iPhone and that's, you know, how I listen to podcasts when I do. Uh, but yeah, super easy. You could just go to our page and hit that subscribe button. Yeah. But again, thank you to everyone for all of your support. Yes. We've had a lot more listens in the last couple of weeks and it's been really exciting checking yeah. our stats every day, learning where people are listening and to be honest, it's super cool oh that God. the majority of our listeners are not our friends and family because yeah. y'all are in places that we we are not. I know. I, I'm sure my coworker who sits next to me is tired of me because randomly throughout the day, I'll just be like, oh my gosh, we got these listeners in Copenhagen. And they're like, cool, I'm working. I literally am <laughs> the same way. It's it's just so exciting. And I'm starting to learn that there are more people that know about it that I haven't told. That mm-hmm. just, I guess, I've seen it on my social media or things like that. And I was talking to a coworker the other day. And she's like, oh, yeah, you have your murder podcast, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I love doing <laughs> it. Like, it takes up a, a lot of my free time. But it, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, just wanted to say a huge thanks but so what are what's going on with you how's life how's you know i wake up every morning that's a positive it is positive (laughs) especially considering last night we heard what we're gonna call fireworks we're gonna hope they were fireworks yeah and i think this is the second time we've talked about this on the podcast because Mm -hmm. it 
is happening more frequently. It is, and it's it goes to show because we don't live in a dangerous part of town, but it goes no. to show that shit can fireworks can happen anywhere. It's true, fireworks, cars backfiring. I, these are the you things know, people that you slamming to their door real loud, like. Real loud, like doors don't slam that loud, kind of loud. That just can happen anywhere. <laughs> I'm choosing to believe that is what it is because. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But Ugh. anyway. But yeah, no. Um, life's been good. It's been it's been busy. This summer is busy. It's a very busy summer. Uh, I have a trip coming up in a couple weeks that just trying to handle the logistics of because I'll be gone for. God, almost two weeks. You will be gone a long time. So, me and the babies will miss you. For those oh. who don't know, that is two kitties and two puppies. Um, we have a lot of animals. We're outnumbered two to one. We really are. So <laughs> let's not piss them off. We need to need to make sure and feed them all. I'm going to be outnumbered so much when you're gone. It's true. You're <laughs> going to die. But you leave enough on your little trips, and I get outnumbered. So it's true. It's true. And you're child that enjoys having um accidents he gets nervous and i don't want i don't want to go into that he doesn't want me to talk about it i don't think he cares i think mean, he's like i don't piss on this i don't piss on that i think he thinks it's his damn house well that's he's it's what he's trying to and that's the point what? he's trying to make it can be if he starts paying rent yeah i'm still <laughs> waiting on them to help out with rent at all hadn't happened yet no no, they're freeloaders. Well, the thing that I wanted to bring up as my what's up new thing is actually something that just happened today. Oh. <laughs> to be honest, I recently found a new podcast mm-hmm. that's similar to ours, but definitely different. I'm I'm kind of obsessed with it. I just started listening to it. It's <laughs> called All Crime, No Cattle, mm-hmm. and it is a Texas true crime podcast. So the two hosts, Aaron and Shay, are a married couple, and they have fantastic banter back and forth. Oh, absolutely. And they talk about this in their introduction episode, but their title is what pulled me in because it is so fucking clever. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a saying here in Texas, all hat no cattle and it's basically for those city slickers that come to texas wearing their cowboy hat and their boots but see they're I, not a cowboy yeah they don't i've live on a never ranch. heard that phrase before i guess i haven't lived here long enough but <laughs> i i was like you were telling me about that and i was like uh sure love that phrase so like yeah totally know exactly what you're talking about mm, cows but anyway they have used that phrase name their podcast all crime no cattle Basically, as a play on, no, they're not professional detectives, investigators. They are just like us, just this huge fascination (laughs) with true crime. And so they're going to tell stories about it. But I love that it is a Texas-focused. Keeping it local. Yes. Um, Regional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hashtag by local. (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to shout out to you guys. Your podcast is really fun Mm -hmm. and I'm really looking forward to listening to it more. And also your logo is probably one of my favorite podcast logos I've ever seen. It's the skeleton holding the flower. The yellow rose. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful as someone who lives in Texas now, born in Texas, half raised in Texas. 
I get it. I connect with it. I love it. Yeah. So that's my what's happening. That's your little little, little news update. Yeah. So. Well, last week we... Oh, I did want to say this to you. Last week, Mm. Mama picked Mm. me, me as the winner. Right. Yeah. No, I know. And I will say... If Mama had not been a guest on that, I would have picked you. Oh, me too. <laughs> oh, same. Because... I it, was very confident I was going to win because, I'm just saying, my case went harder. Well, I'm just saying, also, at the end, you very much had this, what the fuck? Yes. And um, <laughs> so I just wanted to put it out there. I'm cool, obviously, with the fact that I won, but... Oh, yeah. It's making it to where you have now selected our topic again, mm-hmm. and I have picked the wine. Again. So, not not saying anything, but it'll be interesting to see how this episode goes. Um, but yeah. That is a terrible transition. <laughs> I'm not saying anything, but we'll see what happens with this episode and yeah. who prevails. I'm sure when you were doing your investigating, you were making sure to bring something big. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm bringing it. I will win this one. <laughs> I promise you. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, since you did pick this week's topic, will you go ahead and Reveal tell us what it, it is? Yeah. So, this week's topic is... I, mean, I obviously know. I don't know why I said it that way. I, I know. know what the topic is. Literally, We always know. do that. We always act like, ooh, what's it going to be? The topic? I literally know what it is. Uh, we literally know because we literally fucking researched it. So, we yeah. better know. Okay, listeners, Tyler's going to tell you what the topic is. Yes. <laughs> so, the topic for this episode is... I haven't really thought of a good way to phrase it, but um, cold cases no more. Cases that were cold cases that are now recently solved. Yeah, and you hated when I was trying to say we should call it cold cases that are hot or gone yeah, hot. like cold cases <laughs> defrosted. I don't know. I don't like actually. Actually, I like that. Cold. What did you say? You said something like cold cases like warmed up or something. No, I said cold cases gone hot. It okay. was really bad. But it cold was. cases defrosted might be the title of this actually, episode. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Just, I thinking, like it. I'm, I like it a lot. I do too. <laughs> um, but first to go into this, I kind of had to go into what was a cold case. I think we all have ideas of like, oh, you know, the murder from the 80s that hasn't been solved. Or, you know, that that's like what a cold case is. Well, and I always think of ones that are a really long time period, but I don't actually know what it is. Yeah. According to the National Institute of Justice website... Oh. Um, so, like, the government. Uh-huh. Um, the definition of a cold case varies from agency to agency. The National Institute of Justice currently defines a cold case as any case whose probative investigative leads have been exhausted. And in layman's terms? In layman's terms, that would be <laughs> any case where their first, like, suspects, hunches, that kind of initial information that they find doesn't lead anywhere. Which is crazy in yes. my mind because again, I'm thinking multiple years and stuff, and it's, it, you know, it it could be a, one that is considered a very new case, but it's gone cold because the leads have gone cold. Right. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's not not the definition that I would have 
thought of. No. So I think it's actually going to be really interesting, the cases we found. Um, I, I still like the idea more. I think, I think a cold case being solved years and years later has, I don't know, more of an impact or something. I don't know. I think a lot of people can think when, you know, a crime happened years ago and no one's been arrested, they haven't found any news on it that, I don't know, that it, people have forgotten about it. But I love right. when you find these cases that, you know, years later, people are still find, still looking at the evidence, still looking for the killers, um, the attackers to bring them to justice and they do it. Yeah. Well, and right now is a very interesting time or a big time for cold cases Mm -hmm. just with, you know, the last couple of months they caught the golden state killer through the Mm -hmm. DNA, which was, they, they tracked it through one of those ancestry websites. Yeah. And now that that has been done and proven, to work, mm-hmm. there have been two other cases that are solved, like both same amount of time. Golden State Killer was like a 40-year-old case. Mm-hmm. One I read about was a couple from Canada that was like a 30-year-old case. Oh, And it's then another insane. one recently from Washington that was like a 30-year case. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing and exciting to see where where things are going to go next because i think mm-hmm. they have now submitted just a shit ton of dna into these ancestry sites yeah to try to track down um family members and and whatnot to try to get a match and i and I, I know i mentioned this in one episode but zodiac is one yeah it's a very high profile one that they're doing this with so it's really oh, yeah. exciting no i think it's I think we are definitely going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of cold cases being solved through that in the coming months and years. Absolutely. So, on that note, I guess, let's hop into this wine because I'm thirsty. I am too, and I'm excited about this wine Mm -hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah. It's very simple bottle, simple label. It's the Ginesco Cellars 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. And Ginesco Cellars is named for the historic area of Paso Robles, where the uh, vines were first planted in 1886. And on that note, so we've had California cabs Mm -hmm. multiple times. And one thing that I have never done or neither of us have done is talk about the pronunciation of Paso Robles or Paso Robles. See, yeah, I always thought it was Paso Robles. So I did a little bit of research because it is, there are multiple pronunciations. Yeah. So there was this new spot from KCBX by someone named Randall White. Um, someone. <laughs> by a journalist named Randall White. Some dude they found. Randall. <laughs> Some dude Randall Randy. was also curious about the pronunciation. <laughs> so he did some research on how to properly pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And there are two separate ways. Paso Robles, which is the Spanish pronunciation. Mm-hmm. However, that pronunciation is definitely a minority in the area. It's often pronounced Paso Robles by the locals. Mm-hmm. It just depends on the crowd. 
What it technically means in Spanish is the Pass of the Oaks, and it's from some, mm. like, land treaty or whatever, but there are definitely a lot of places in California that have names that have Spanish origins. Oh, I think it's so interesting. It's They're... the same in Texas, too, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah. Well, even... I mean, there are so Shit many time. places that have... Um, that had names coming from other origins that, like, the correct way would be pronounced one way. But because, you know, this town is in Idaho and not France, it's pronounced Cordeline instead right. of, like, Cordelion or whatever. Right. And <laughs> it is one thing around here in Austin that has always driven me insane. Oh, oh, it it makes my eyes want to bleed. I don't my I don't know why my eyes, but they do. They want to bleed when the I hear it. The number one. <laughs> two, there are two. There are two. Yep. Which one are you going to say? Because I'll say the other. Um, I'm going to say Guadalupe. And then Nueces. Oh. Oh no! You you're thinking, thinking of San Jacinto. Yes. <laughs> All of those <laughs> drive me insane. And so when people talk about um the Guadalupe street. I just call it Guad because they say Guadalupe. And I'm like, that is not how you fucking say it. Like, yeah. I know it's how you say it here in Austin, but for crying well, out loud, it's, 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 it's a comment. Like it's, and it's not one that is like in other places of Texas. It is Guadalupe. Like, yeah. like the tallest mountain in Texas is not Guadalupe Peak. <laughs> well, and that actually brings me to the next part of the um, Sand Jack <laughs> of this research I did on the pronunciation. A lot of it is also the dialect mm -hmm. and how the names of places will evolve with the dialect. And I feel like the Guadalupe Guadalupe is an example of a dialect because, that, like you were just saying, here in yeah. Austin, that's how they say it. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, another way you can think about it is, um, like, in a lot of towns named after Native American populations. Because I'm 99% sure or that the town in Florida, Miami, and the town in Oklahoma, Miami, are named after the same tribe. Probably. But are clearly pronounced very different. People in Oklahoma will be like, Miami? No, it's Miami. And it's, I'm like, it's spelled my, okay. Yeah. And I don't know what one's right. Well. They're all right, technically. Just depending on where you are. Exactly. And, again, perfect transition. So, with the introduction and growth, growth of the wine industry in California, when it came to the pronunciation of Paso Robles, um, there was a change in what is acceptable and what is proper. Mm. Because... The residents, you know, the ones who have nothing to do with the wine industry, industry, say um, Paso Robles, mm -hmm. which is, you know, not the Spanish pronunciation. Yeah, so like the local, yeah, exactly, and that that is what has been passed down, and so it's it'd be really difficult to tell these fifth generation people that they're saying it wrong and try to get them to say um, Paso Robles. Yeah. Okay. That's so. Fair. Also, when you call, like, the city city hall, they pronounce it Paso Robles. 
Yeah. That is how it is pronounced. So Spanish pronunciation is definitely in the minority. I prefer it because it's quote unquote the right way. But like I literally just described, that is up to... um, You know what? I like Paso Robles, so... You like Paso Robles? Yeah. Kind of like Paso Robles. So anyway, our wine, which again is the Genesco Cellars 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon from Paso Robles, (laughs) (laughs) is actually one that we found at HEB. I know. We didn't go to Trader Joe's this time. We did not get this one at Trader Joe's, which it was when we went to the store to buy. I wanted rosé yesterday, of course, Mm. because like y'all know, I can't stop drinking rosé in the summer. Yes way, Rosé. So. Okay. We did learn that AGB's selection of Rosé is more expensive and not anywhere near as selective as Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is so much more extensive. So it just, it was really interesting. But I do know AGB has some great cabs and everything. So Mm -hmm. on the weekends... H-E-B always has these vendors come to sample different beers and wines. Mm-hmm. And this this last weekend, or yesterday... Yeah. Oh my gosh, it wasn't sorry, yesterday. It, I know, it was only yesterday. It <laughs> felt like a lot longer. But yesterday, we went in, and there was one person doing a pouring for this wine. Um, however, she literally didn't seem to know anything about the wine, except she's like, this one is a Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. Did she even mention it was a California? No. Yeah. I knew okay. that because I looked at the bottle and saw Paso Robles. Yeah. She, and, yeah, because she had this one and then she had another brand, another Yeah, like, it, was winery a, it was a different that was a Merlot vineyard. that was no. Uh, no, I didn't really no. like that Merlot at all. No. But um but yeah, that was disappointing. I mean we granted it worked, we bought it. Well, that's what I was <laughs> gonna say. Like just that little sample, which is like half a sip. I know. Um, it really it won me over, and it. I can't wait to have an actual glass mm-hmm. of this wine. It was a little bit pricier than what we normally get. It was. It was a $14 bottle, but for a good Paso Robles cab, to me, that is completely worth it. Oh, yeah. And it's the thing is, I feel like it's good to have and to know a, a good $15 bottle. If you need to impress someone who who knows wine who likes wine yeah like fifteen dollar ain't gonna break the bank for the most part but mm-hmm. you know it's an impressive one you know you really i am definitely in the camp where you really don't need to spend 30 40 50 dollars on a no on a bottle of wine because like is a 50 dollar bottle gonna be great absolutely i our our stepmom is a member of a wine oh, club, that, yes. and she gets shipments a um, couple times a year. Grape Creek in Fredericksburg, Texas, and their wine is it's wonderful, incredible. And occasionally they'll put in different uh, of their black labels, yes. which is like forty dollars a bottle, and forty to fifty depending on the wine. And my favorite favorite wine in the world is it is from Saracena Vineyards which is oh. in California. It was the first winery I'd ever actually been to. I'd had this wine at um, at my going away dinner with my mom. We, you know, she wanted to treat us, bought us a expensive bottle of wine. It was like 70 or 80 at the restaurant. 
Um, and then a few weeks later, when I was moving to Seattle, we were driving up, driving through wine country in California, and we're like, oh my God, let's, let's go to a winery. Uh, we accidentally took a wrong turn and went to like a hippie commune and they wanted to grant us wishes and it was very creepy and it, I was, I don't know. Left that. We quickly. left quickly yeah. and didn't get kidnapped. But, you know, we continued along the road still wanting to do a wine tasting and saw this sign for Saracena Vineyards. We we're like, yeah, let's go. Uh, drove up to it. Gorgeous. It's in, I believe, Mendocino area. I can only imagine how fucking gorgeous that was. We were the only people there. It was just us and the vineyard owners. Yeah. Um, and we tasted a couple wines and we bought a cabin at the vineyard. It was like $45. Mm-hmm. So, but it's my absolute favorite wine. But anyway, long story to say, those were amazing, but a $15 bottle is great. I mean, it there are a lot of great wines that you can find in the 15 to $20 range mm-hmm. that are along the same um, tasting points and levels mm-hmm. as those $40, $50 bottles. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I I still love a good um, just like two buck chuck. I mean, I, I love it. And it's yeah now $3. But it's now $3 here in Texas. It's I mean, it's a great wine. So the price point is not something that is a make or break it mm-hmm. but you know if you're trying to impress someone a nice $15 bottle well you know it'll, it'll go a long ways yeah one of my absolute favorite wines i have one that i found recently it was i actually found it at dfw at the dallas mm-hmm. airport oh. at crew when i was waiting on a couple other friends to meet me at the airport it was when we were flying to paris and it's Saldo, mm-hmm. it's a Zen, and it is heaven. It was one of those that I I had I had a wine flight, and I spent like 20 bucks on the flight, because in my head I was like, oh, this is perfect while I'm waiting. I will just get samples of a few different wines, and then when they get here, we'll go and hop on the plane. Mm-hmm. Well, this wine was so good that I got two glasses. After they were like, your flight? After my flight. <laughs> There, they were like fifteen a piece. So I ended up spending like seventy bucks at the airport at Crew, which is whatever. totally what they do. But whatever. Yeah. So when I go to the stores um, at Trader Joe's, it's twenty five dollars for that bottle. I don't think I've seen Saldo at H E B, but it's it's one of those that twenty five is not like crazy, but it's not it's something like, I buy very often yeah. at all. It's kind of my like celebratory like. I did something good or something great happened and yeah. I want to celebrate it. Um, so without further ado, let's get into this wine. Yes, absolutely. I will say while we open it, I'm definitely the kind of person who gets wine drunk at the airport. That's I get oh, there I two hours do. early and it's it 90% of the time is not necessary to get there that early. But then I have like an hour and a half to sit at the airport bar and drink wine and just feel like a boss. I love getting a, a couple glasses of wine at the airport before my mm-hmm. flight. I I was not. I did say wine drunk, not actually wine drunk. Oh, smell that cork! Ooh, it's a squeaky cork. I know. <laughs> um, it's 
it's still cork, but it seems like it's cork with something else. Mm. Um, so if you'll just slide your glass over. Oh my gosh. Very, very excited. This is gorgeous. Oh, it smells so good too. Does it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, oh, that does smell great. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. God, yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. This, this is what I love in a cab. Oh, my God, yes. One of those cab, like the, you can taste the oaky. Mm -hmm. It does have berry, but yes, that Absolutely. is what I want in a cab always. I'm I, I was loving it. <laughs> craving a good cab the past couple days. And this is, yes. Uh, uh, I will say, let's jump into yours. Into your story. Yes. Into so, your case. There we go. Case. Into my case. So this one is the murder of Beth Bromlett. Mm -hmm. I used three different sources for this. The Daily Beast, My San Antonio, which is a website that seemed like a news station as well. Okay. And KWTX Waco. So, I did get a little bit inspired by the All Crime No Cattle podcast, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do a Texas cold case mm -hmm. defrosted. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Y'all should have seen his face that he gave me. He was like, really? You're trying to use that? But I loved it, and I don't care. I used it. Yeah, I, um, I don't like puns, so. Hey, you know what? Get over it. I, oh, wow. Okay. So, the murder of Beth Bromlett happened on August 7th, 1982, in a town northeast of Waco called Axtell. Okay. It was a very small, tight-knit community, and um, I think at the time there were only about 500 people there. Now it's grown to about 2,000, but okay. it was very small in the 80s. Yeah. Um, Beth was very well known in this town. At the time, she was 17 years old, preparing for her senior year of high school. She was this quiet girl who, as a teenager, became really well-known for riding her horse, Coco, at the rodeos. Okay. So, very Texas. She very. Is, she's just your sweetheart Texas rodeo girl. She has a horse named Coco, so I trust her. I love that name. It's a mm -hmm. really pretty name for a horse. So, her best friend, Lisa Lynn Warren Gray. Sorry, there was a lot of names. Wow. Um, Lisa Lynn... Warren Gray. Warren Gray. <laughs> she told stories of times that, you know, she and Beth loved music and they would just spend time together singing songs at the top of their lungs. And so Beth is just this normal 17-year-old girl with so much ahead of her. Yeah. At this time, you know, it's the end of summer, summer's winding down, and there were all these students that decided to go to a party at the Trading House Lake, which okay. is a lake that's in Waco. Okay. So she's there for this end of the summer season party. And... Is it just like a high school kid summer party? Totally. Okay. Exactly. They're just woohooing to the end of summer. She's getting ready, like I said, getting ready for senior year. So it's a really exciting time in yeah. her life. And... At this party, with it being your typical high school party, 
a brawl ended up happening. Mm. And then later there was an unrelated incident, but a teenager was playing with a pistol, fired a shot into the air. And so kind of around that time, Beth's like, okay, I think I want to go home now. Like this party's getting a little out of hand. I think I'm going to just peace out. Yeah. So smart, smart, smart. So she started walking on hall drive when two of her friends, Johnny and Teresa Wood, offered her a ride. So they're on the way to Beth's house, which is in nearby Axtell, and his car was starting to run out of gas. Mm. And Johnny turns to Beth and is basically like, shit, sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it to your house. Yeah. And so she's like, that's okay, just kick me out here, I'll find another ride home. And it's, like, late. It's one in the morning. Oh, fuck. And just remember, this is the 80s, and so this was... I guess that's true. 80s small town. She's like, oh, no worries. Someone else is going to drive by, and I'll, I'll hitch a ride with them. She's also, like, used to... She lives in the country. So yes. she's not the kind of person who's probably scared of, like, running into a coyote or what. Like, she's no. like, bitch, I grew up with them. Pro- exactly. So, they dropped her off and actually went... Johnny and Teresa went back to the party. Oh. So... Well, I guess gas wasn't that big of an issue. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, back at the party, Teresa's father, Talmadge Wayne Wood, saw that his daughter was at the party and was like, Teresa, I don't want you hanging out with Beth. And he threatened to kill his daughter if she didn't get home before he did. Oh. So basically, like, dad comes to the party, sees his daughter's there, pissed that he finds out she's hanging out with Beth. Why would you be pissed she's hanging out with Beth? There's a little bit more that's going to come out later, but I think, like, for some reason, um, Talmadge hated Beth and didn't want his daughter hanging around her. Okay. There's not a lot of evidence other than there was... Something. Okay. Um, and that'll make a little bit more sense later in the story. Okay, okay. But, so, Talmud just like, Teresa, get your ass home. You better get there before I do, or you're dead. Yeah. So, Teresa's like, shit, okay, bye. And she drives home. Yeah. And when she drove by the area where she had dropped off Beth, Beth is no longer there. So, you know... To Teresa, Beth found another ride home, like, whatever. Yeah. Turns out, Beth never made it home. Mm. A couple days later, Beth's body was found by a fisherman on August 10th. She had been lying face down on abandoned railroad tracks near her home in Axtell. Mm. She had died from a twenty-two caliber gunshot to the head. Although an autopsy would later show that Beth suffered from more than one bullet wound. When she was found, she was still wearing her jeans and a t-shirt. Okay. Um, at the crime scene, her body did not to appear to have been brutalized. But one deputy who, ended up, who worked on the original case back in the 80s uh, said that when investigators turned her over, it looked as if someone had chewed or gnawed on her body on some parts oh, of her body fuck. and potentially eaten part of her. Oh fuck. And as far as, 
you know, because she had been out in the on this railroad track for a few days, but it wasn't the type of wounds that looked like it was caused by animals. Yeah. Because it was on the part of her body that had been lying face down this whole time and mm-hmm. not exposed to the elements. So that is where it gets, we get the, it, someone okay. did this okay. and not, you know. Something. Something. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there was no physical evidence to work with. No weapon, no vehicle, no place where there might be DNA. I mean, except on her. But this, again, 82 is prior to DNA yeah. times. So, you know. It but. is, it blows my mind how police officers and investigators can solve crimes like this. Because oh, I yeah. think about it like finding a bot, like... A stranger killing someone, like if there's no personal connection to tie them in, how do you do that? There are so many people in the world, and there's, like, it's, uh, I feel like it'd be so easy. Evidence is so small. You know, a fingerprint here, a piece of hair there, and you fucking, you know, solve a It blows my mind. I'm so impressed every day. I am too. And when you think about... When crime scene investigators are going to the scene of a crime and collecting evidence, it's not, and I know you know this, but when you think about it, it's not just they go in there and they're like, oh, okay, so right here we see this, right here we see this. I mean, they're in there for hours and hours and hours, scouring oh, yeah. every square inch of that place and yeah. looking for fibers. And Well, it's one of those things that I think the show CSI, like, yes, it focuses on crime scene investigators, CSI stands for. But yeah. it doesn't do it justice to show how much work goes into it. No, they walk in there and see something immediately and are able yeah. to solve it in a day. Like, that's well, they not either do that or they'll, you know, show, oh, they worked for hours, but let's show it through a 20-second montage. And it just doesn't... Right. You know, there's so much... There's just so much that goes into it. And having to narrow down 500,000 pieces of what could be evidence to the things that are going to get this person caught and brought to justice. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. It is incredible. So literally, seriously, let's cheers to them because their job's fucking hard and people's lives depend on it. Absolutely. Cheers to them. Yeah. In an effort after this case, in an effort to aid the investigation, and hopefully find some type of lead, the Waco Citizen ran the story of Beth's murder twice in their Crime of the Week column. Okay. It, nothing ever came out of of that. So the the county, the, the McClendon County Police Department was short on evidence. They had several leads, but the quest to solve the murder stalled. Like, they just didn't... They couldn't move forward with this. And the town is... cold. Yeah, so the case went cold. I mean, the town is reeling from her death. Weeks passed, and it very much seemed as if the case might go unsolved. Mm. Then, in October 1982, authorities thought they caught a break in the case. Okay. That month, Jimmy Dean Rowe turned himself into local police and confessed to killing Beth with another guy named Carlos Castro as his accomplice. Okay. So, he said... Not the sausage Jimmy Dean. Not the Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean Rowe. Okay. Not sausage Jimmy Dean. Mm, So, (laughs) Jimmy said that he had gone and spoke to the Lord... And the Lord told him to confess to these murders. Did 
But did he do it? <laughs> Roe claimed to have extrasensory precipitate. He has ESPN. <laughs> he can tell when it's <laughs> when it's about to be, or he can tell it's when it's rain. raining. <laughs> I just was thinking about Mean Girls. Yes, that's what I was referencing. Okay, yeah. Let me try that again. Sorry, okay. guys. So, <laughs> Roe claimed to have extrasensory perception, mm-hmm. or ESP, and he told the police that he had clairvoyant abilities. Sure. So, dude's, like, fucking crazy. Yeah, I I know some of our listeners and a lot of people oh, out there are very, you know believe in like yeah i don't mean to stuff. sound insensitive but the way he was using this he's he as you'll later see obviously because this is a cold case he didn't do it yeah and that's why i say he was crazy yeah not I, because he was um you know believed in these things I just, yeah i gotta justify myself no that's, I, I don't want to sound shitty that's a fair point bank i was saying like i know a lot of y'all probably are really into that really into the i want to say the occult but i don't like i don't know clairvoyancy all that stuff um, convince me that's all i'm gonna say is convince me yeah well you like the angel cards that i, I use. do I but i don't believe cards. they necessarily have power i think it's definitely more of something of what you see in it is like right. it's i think it's a way to help like filter your thoughts and brain okay fair fair i like this assessment Anyway, so Jimmy w- said that he would sometimes dream of people being killed and that he was the one doing that killing. Um, okay. He, the police ended up concluding that he was hallucinating. He was just making up the story for some type of recognition um, and trying to get famous on someone else's doings. That's so, fucked up. Yes. Both of these men, uh, Jimmy and Carlos, were arrested, but authorities did conclude that their story was fake. Yeah. Um, charges were dismiss- dismissed after Roe failed to answer basic questions uh, about the chain of events that led to the murder. So he knew nothing. Yeah. Clearly, again, he, he didn't knew what do it. was written in the paper. Exactly. He know he did not know anything else that everyone didn't know or the pub the general public yes yes the things he knew was what everyone else knew that's what i'm trying to say yeah after that the case went cold for decades so Mm. this brings us to 2017 so like 35 years later 36 36 damn so now it's been 36 and this case has been solved. I'm going to tell you how this came about. I know, but I just... I think about she would be, like, 50s. Mm-hmm. She she might have a grandkid. Like a little toddler or something. I mean, she really was taken at this prime in her life mm-hmm. when there was so much opportunity ahead of her. And she was just this really excited 17-year-old girl. Yeah. Getting excited for her senior year and... It just, yeah. yeah. So, there was a newly established cold case unit that um, 
ended up being able to determine that the murder suspect was one of the initial people of interest in the homicide investigation back in the 80s. Oh. One of the cold case squad members, who happened to be an Axtell native, actually worked on the original investigation in the 80s. So they had someone that was very familiar and well acquainted with her case because he worked on it. And so he worked on it again when it came uh, back up. Props for keeping, you know, staying in the same career for 40 years. Yeah. Well, (laughs) his name was, he was Detective Terry Fuller. And the interest in the case reignited, like I said, in 2017 after KWTX in Waco ran a story on the uh, the 35th anniversary of the murder. I will say it blows my mind how many, I feel like in so many of our cases that we talk about, we will mention, you know, interest in the case reignited or or more leads were found more people came forward after a local news does a story on it i think it's i think it's incredible how much influence and how much change just you know a a local news station revisiting an old case can have Mm -hmm. well it's true because around this time like i said they had established a new cold case unit in the area to just try to dive into and solve a lot of these cold cases. The news ended up running a story on Beth. And so that case bubbled up in the community and people were kind of talking about it. So they started looking into it more. Yeah. And um, investigators turned their attention to Teresa's father, Talmadge Wood. Oh. Who, again, Teresa was the friend of Beth that had partially taken her home and then yeah. didn't. Went back to the party. There had long been hushed conversations in town about his violent behavior. And the cold case unit carefully reviewed all of the crime scene uh, information through an extremely intensive investigation. And they were able to eliminate every other suspect that they had initially in the 80s, except for Talmadge Wood. And as it turned out, he was the only suspect that had the motive and opportunity to kill Beth that night. So, according to investigators, back in the 60s and 70s, Wood was suspected in being involved in the, uh, his sister's disappearance and his uncle's death in Jesus. a mysterious house fire. So, he was never arrested or charged in connection with either of those cases, but he was a suspect. And then... According to Sheriff Parnell McNamara, Wood also had a history of domestic abuse, and on at least one occasion, he beat and tied up his wife before showing photos of her bruises to his neighbor. What the fuck? Yeah. So, four months after Beth's murder, Talmadge broke into a widow's home a week before Christmas... Shot the woman and her son. Why? I don't know. Um, the The two ended up surviving, and Wood claimed self defense, which I'm like, you broke in. What the how fuck? Do you, I do not understand how he claimed self defense. He ended up being sentenced to ten years probation, which I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I know it's so fucked up. I'm like, you broke into her house, shot them. And then somehow claim self-defense and just get probation. God. Yeah. So fucked up. 
Um, the next year, he attempted to kidnap an elderly woman at gunpoint. Yes, please pour more. So, like I was saying, uh, the next year, he attempted to kidnap an elderly woman at gunpoint at um, Richland Mall. At, for that case, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was released in 1994 and continued to have multiple brushes with the law until 2014 when he died of natural causes. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's one of those cold cases. Fuck. What is wrong with this guy? Why? Why? Like, I just, I don't understand. He's just like a bad guy. Like, because uh, I don't agree with, but can definitely understand people who, you know, have to live a life of crime for their means. You know, someone who well, it's like lives in poverty and, right. you know, steals a lot. Or someone whose community, like, it's what you do is you join a gang. Right. For safety, for whatever, for community. Right. And being involved in that. That I can understand. This fucker, why? It's like he's just doing it to do it. Like, he... When I was reading about him, Talmadge, to me, seemed like that type of guy that wanted to prove himself, like, be the tough guy, be, so like, in charge. he's got a charge, tiny dick. Basically. Okay, thimble dick. Don't <laughs> kidnap old people and murder teenagers. Yeah. I, I He just literally... I wish I could have found more information on Teresa mm -hmm. because literally I, I, there were no interviews with her that I could find or anything like that because I'm like, so your dad like fucking killed your friend. Yeah. How I do you bet, feel about that? You're... I bet she declined because oh, that, probably. Would, that would be an obvious, like the journalist being like, you know, you know, both parties in this. You're the, I guess not the connector, but kind of. Yeah, well, and I'm not playing the blame game by any oh, means. because Because I'm sure from, again, what I read, it's not like they were like, Beth, get out of the car. Beth was like, oh, no, pull over. It's fine. I'll find another ride. Yeah. Like, that was just what they did. So no, no, I no blame. I don't blame her at all. And I could definitely understand her being like, I don't want to talk about this. That was my friend and that's my fucking dad. Like, I totally, Teresa, we got you. Got your back, girl. I couldn't even imagine going through no. what she's going through. But... So, with Talmadge dead, investigators said that people began to come forward once um, Beth's case had reopened. Are you fucking kidding me? They're only going to come forward once he's dead? So, there's no question in the minds of the investigators that Talmadge did this, but people were scared to death of him. I guess that does make sense. And so, that's why they did not come forward until he was dead. That makes sense. There, you know, Fuller even said that people told him the only reason they went to his funeral in 2014 was to make sure he was actually dead. Fuck. See, another thing that I'm, we're used to live in a small town. I feel like shit like this. Yeah. Is small town stuff. And I'm like, not, not that all small towns have this, but that a fucking tyrant who... You're scared to go to the police because he could murder your family mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. can fucking run the town is like scary fucking no. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, and it's like people were just so terrified, terrified of him that they would not talk yeah. without him being dead. Yeah. I judged it earlier, but I, I, I get it. Yeah. I a hundred percent get it. I get it too. 
So, a little bit on how they know that Talmadge is guilty. If you remember earlier, I was saying Teresa and her friend Johnny returned to the party after dropping Beth off on the side of the road. Talmadge allegedly was, like I said, extremely upset that he saw his daughter there, said, you better beat me home. So, we talked about that. Well, apparently, he left the party five minutes before Teresa did, but... When Teresa got home traveling the same route, her dad wasn't there when she got home. Okay. Um, Investigators believe that Talmadge had this ongoing dispute with Beth. Possibly she rejected him or something. Again, going with this, like, tough guy, no one says no to me bullshit is what I'm imagining. Yeah. She's 17 and smart and you're a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, they think maybe Beth waved him down for a ride home. Because, again, it is her friend's dad. Yeah. And Beth, I think, is potentially a little naive in her age. Yeah. I know I was at that age. And <laughs> Fuck, just yeah. thinking, I need a ride home. It's 1 a.m. Talmadge will take me home. Yeah. Um, They believe that that is when he killed her. So, after authorities interviewed more than 60 people... They reported, like, most of these people reported seeing Talmadge coming home around 4.30 that morning covered in blood. Like, that night of Beth's death. One, were all these people awake? I think... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a farm, so maybe. Farm town, but but also, is it light enough? Oh, is he walk? What? I need more information on that. Yeah, I would like more information on that, but that's all it said. And I was kind of... I I had the same thing. I'm like, how did 60 people know? Unless... walked through a town meeting. Well, I mean, unless maybe he... Which I don't know why this wouldn't have been an article, but it's like maybe he stopped at the gas station or just was in areas... A very crowded gas station. I'm I'm (laughs) saying like going back home, maybe there were multiple areas of his route that had people. And it, it is a farm town. People are up earlier. Yeah, that's true. So, but anyway, multiple people saw him covered in blood. So, um, and like I said, all of this crucial evidence that they needed in the 80s, it didn't come out until after Talmadge had died because of the fear that all of the uh, townspeople had in this man. According to McNamara, on the night of the party, Talmadge supposedly instructed Teresa to discard two guns. So I think, you know, Teresa may have unfortunately been wrapped up into a little of this. Uh, Still an innocent party, but wrapped up into this and her dad's telling her to get rid of these guns. Yeah. They were thrown into a large stock tank um, on their farm. Mm -hmm. And so they had a master diver probably in that tank searching for the guns for an hour or so um, in, like, 18-degree weather. So when it's, like, really cold, this poor diver is in the water trying to find those guns that had been there for 30 years. Almost 40 years. Almost 40 years, yeah. The team, of course, expressed relief solving the case, but wished that they had been able to do it while Talmadge was alive. Yeah. Um, But because people wouldn't talk... They couldn't. They just, they didn't have this information. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things, though, where I am like, man, if you know something, say something. For real. Like, 
there are so many years that this family has spent grieving with not knowing what happened mm-hmm. and who did it. And it took almost 40 years to find it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad, like, thank God, at least people did say something yeah. eventually. Well, I wonder, were her parents alive when they finally got the news? You know, if they were 40 at the time it happened, they're almost 80. It would make sense if they didn't get to see this. Well, her mom was still alive. I don't know about her dad, but... You know, her mom was alive, and and that the resolution of Beth's murder did bring some closure, but still more questions. Again, with motive. There's a lot of questions around Talmadge's motive of killing Beth. Well, and it's also one of those things, you know, she... I assume mom still lived in Axtell. Yeah. How many people that she saw every day knew Knew for almost 40 years, knew what happened... Yeah. And kept that from her because yeah. they were scared. And it, I, again, I understand them being scared. I get it. But think of her, think of her after finding that out, going to the store and being like, how much did all of you know? Like how could you, how, how could you look yourself? at me every, you know, every day for 40 years, not say a word? I know. I know. Um, her mom did say that. You know, she told investigators she was thankful they never gave up. Yeah. And Beth's sister, Denise Smith, it was her younger sister who was 12 years old at the time of the murder, shared a lot of fond memories with uh, the Associated Press of time she spent with her sister. And she just said, you know, when I was born, she would get me out of my baby bed and walk around with me saying I was her baby. So, you know, this cute, just... Because so Beth was six year old. Yeah, Yeah. Beth was seventeen, and um, and then of course, and this is something this all this made me like tear up when I was reading it. So Smith was saying, "There's a time when big sisters become annoyed with their little sisters because they're always having to tag along." Me and my sister were finally getting to the stage where she wanted me there. Oh. And um, Smith said she's found peace. But there is no such thing as closure or justice. It hurts maybe even more now than it did back then. And like, God. I'm going to end on that note because I'm yeah. like choking up right now because I just can't even imagine. No. And I totally get that with the sister thing. Um, and that's something that I feel like you can understand but not completely oh yeah i because the relationship i have with you and sid is like as your brother and like you know we have the sibling relationship we're very close but you and sid are sisters like that's that's a different kind of bond yeah and our age difference is very similar um it's a little bit smaller we're like four and a half years apart but i totally get what denise was saying about this moment when you're finally ready to like when the older sister is finally like, Oh yeah, we'll hang out. Like let's get to know one mm-hmm. another. And it just, anyway, so that is the story of the cold case of Beth Bromlett that uh-huh. was actually solved. Um, th- like this year, uh-huh. the, the information I found yeah. was from, I didn't say this. It was from February of this year when they finally kind of, resolved this case okay 
I got more emotional there at the end than I thought I would, but yeah, I guess yeah, just yeah. actually telling the story out loud and talking about Beth and just... Oh, I wonder how long it's going to be until one of us cries on this podcast. Because uh, there are definitely cases out there. Uh, I think our first or second, one of the murder minis I did, where I talked about Christina Grimmie, that one, oh, yeah. I got close to tears. But anyways, I know you still have some in your glass. I'm going to open the second bottle. Yeah, go go ahead. We need it before you jump into yours. Um, uh, Yeah. God, I love this foil cutter. I know. It's it's crazy how great it is. I want to get a better wine opener than just this, like, winged one. Yeah. I, I don't know what you call them. I think it's a winged opener. Maybe mm. I'm making that up, but it sounds pretty good. It lo- it looks like that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... I don't know. I, um... Oh, there we go. Dang, yes, more wine. Wine time for us while we do crime. Not do crime, but tell crime. (laughs) (laughs) When we talk about crime time. Crime time with wine time. So I'm I'm really happy with this wine. Oh, this one's one of my favorites we've done. I think this is one I'm going to want to get uh, again. Like, cause there have been some that we've featured that I'm like, yes, let's do this one again. There have been some that I'm like, this no, was I'll good never for the, have this again. This was good for the episode. Yeah, but yeah, that is true. That is true. There have definitely been some that I am all about. The Sauvignon Blanc we had uh, during the during our July Fourth episode two oh, weeks ago. I know. Oh my gosh, that one! I want that like. Not now because we're drinking red, but the next time we go back to Trader Joe's, I think I'm gonna get that get a bottle just for me. Like, yeah, I love that was that. delicious. Um, but yeah, no, there are definitely some. You know what? We actually, it's funny. We mentioned, I think what last week, that uh, we don't do sweet wines because we're not a fan, right? Uh, but that second bottle we did, the bottle we did in episode two. The Apothic Brew with, that had the coffee in it. Yeah. Was a sweeter one. It was. It was not my favorite. Well, I think but, that's why it wasn't our favorite. Yeah. It was sweeter. It wasn't bad. It was just no. sweet. But so, you know, listeners, if y'all are wanting a sweeter wine, when we did an episode two, is good. I like that we've started really branching out on our wines. You know, right. we're not just picking a cab, which, you know, usually is what we both have. Right. Well, I'm really glad we've been branching out, too. Mm -hmm. And I think this podcast has given us a great reason and motive to branch out from the norm. So one thing I'm kind of interested in doing, and hear me out, I haven't haven't said this to you yet. Okay. um, Potentially, we could do some type of contest on our social media with our listeners. And, like, the winner picks the wine. And obviously, we'll have to... To vet it, because it'll have to be something we can actually get here. Yeah, that um, is true. Unless they want to send it to us, because hey. that is also an option. If we if we can't get it here in, in Austin... Yeah, let us know. We'll set up a P.O. box. Yeah. So, um, but I think that would be a kind of cool contest to have listener-suggested wines. Yeah. Um, I mean... And it, even... Right now, we don't have that... Sorry. Oop. 
my cat just jumped over the uh, couch. Um, I think that would be really cool to have listener wine selection. Or always, guys, you can email us a suggestion because oh, we're yeah. clearly email, open to that. Tweet us a suggestion. Comment on our Instagram. I would love to I start mean, getting wine suggestions. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This reminds me. So um, Avalon Winery yes. totally major, major heart to you guys. We drank their wine a few episodes ago and it was so good. It was one it of the ones del- I picked. Yes, and it was one that, from the description, we thought it was going to be mostly fruit, but it was a cab that w- had a lot more um, dimensions to it yeah. and structure than, than we thought it would. And we Instagrammed it, like I do every week, and they commented, which I thought, oh, that's really cool. But then they shared our photo on their page, mm-hmm. and that was just it was just really awesome yeah. to have you know, some recognition from one of the vineyards that we've been featuring. Yeah. And I just think that would be really cool because anytime I can, I I will at them, hashtag, mm-hmm. like, their name. Yeah. And oh, I will say, if any of y'all own a vineyard, holy shit. let us know. Or, like, work for a vineyard, let us know. We will feature that shit in a heartbeat. We will. We will. And I am not opposed that to doing... That shit. That wine. I am not opposed to doing, like... Off-site vineyard. That's episodes. true. I mean, if we wanted to record <laughs> in your in your um, what's the vineyard? Not brewing room because that's a brewery, but where they store like, the oh, it's like where the, they like make the wine and like the fermenting room. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what the room is you know, we could record in there. I'm just saying, or just the tasting room where we taste the done wine. Well, that that too, that too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. But anyway, so keep your eyes out because I think I want to do that contest. Yeah, we'll absolutely. We'll kind of think of the parameters and whatnot. and Yeah, let yeah. us know. Well, with that, I think it's time to jump into Murder 2. Yes. So the case or cases that I chose are oh. the murders of Michelle Lozano and Brienne Guzman. Okay. So, the sources I used are the Los Angeles Times, CBS Los Angeles, KTLA, the Daily Breeze, and the Los Angeles Daily News. Alright, you used a lot. I did. So, a lot of news sources. But, um, this one has, it just, this one went in. So, you'll, you'll see. Okay. But... On Monday, April 25th of 2011, a homeless person called the police after finding a nude body in a broken open container <gasps> in the brush near southbound uh, I-5 freeway at State Street and Cesar Chavez Avenue in Boyle Heights. This is in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, or the Los Angeles area. Yeah, yeah. Um, at about 11.30 p.m., so 11.30 at night. Um, the authorities obviously came. They're like, a dead, naked body in a plastic container. What the fuck? Are you talking, like, barrel-sized plastic container? Or are you talking, like, one of the square containers that they use for storage? I'm thinking one of the square, like, tubs. Okay. Well, because those are the only plastic ones I've seen. So that's what I was picturing, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, authorities pronounced the girl dead at the scene, um, early Tuesday, the following day. On the 26th. So, wait. I'm going to interject because I just yeah. realized this weird... I don't know. When they... When 
when investigators or police get to a crime scene, is that when the time of death... I mean, it's not when it's determined, because that's the medical examiner, but do they do, like, a formal, like, well, time of death type thing? I think they do a check of, like... I mean, I mean obviously, obviously they have they, to check if they're right, dead. Right, right. But I think that's when they declare them deceased. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. never thought about that. So, the victim was determined to be Michelle Lozano, who is a recently missing 17-year-old girl. Oh. Yeah. I have a 17-year-old girl, too. God. Why? I know. The cases of the the young people hurt me so much. They really do. Like, they just hit it harder because they were, again, just taken so early before they could do so much. Yeah. So, Michelle was from the um, Lincoln Heights area of Los Angeles, and she was the actu- actually the oldest child of six, so she had five younger siblings, and on Easter Day, April 24th, so the, the day before she was found, yeah. um, she had told her mom that she's going to go take a walk to the store, Oh, and that's there. the last that any of her loved ones ever saw her. Why is that the last thing that so many people do? Walk to the store? Yes. Yeah. Don't, guys. Take take transit to the store if you can. Don't just, walk. I, I guess because it's just such a normal activity, but I swear, I feel yeah. like half of your cases have been, they walked to the store and never walked home. Well, yeah, actually, because this... <laughs> Georgia. Georgia Cruz. Mm-hmm. I've thought about Georgia Cruz multiple times uh, during this episode, actually, mm-hmm. just because that's that's a it's another it's child. a cold case yeah. that's still cold. It's, I know, and I am just hoping that again with all the new revelations coming out in this, all the new ways to do DNA evidence. But... I would love for that one to be solved. God. Well, and I thought of it when we were talking about. Mine being a small town and people knowing things and how we we very much harped on the fact that someone knows something in that town. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Oh, absolutely. Sorry. I I continue. Yeah. So she told her mom she's going to go to the store. Mm -hmm. Like that's, um, and she was last seen alive by witnesses, um, across from Lincoln high school at about 4 p.m. On the day before her body was found. Okay. Uh, she'd been sexually assaulted. Oh. Murdered. And investigators determined from evidence that she'd been wrapped in plastic bags <gasps> and stuffed into the plastic container. Jesus. Oh, it gets worse. Yours always do. They always do. Afterwards, the container was dumped over a concrete barrier along the freeway. Um probably thrown from a moving vehicle. Oh my god. And when it hit the ground, the container broke open and spilled her body into the shrubs. So So that's how it was left when the the homeless man found her. Yeah. So she was oh thrown god. out. They they treated her like like actual littering. They just threw her from the car. Oh my god. Yeah, I the Researching this one made me so angry. Um, So that was in late April of 2011. On December 26th of 2011, Mm -hmm. the day after that Christmas, or the day after Christmas that same year, 
okay. a 22-year-old mother of two, Brianna Guzman, was feeling sick. Um, according to her mother, Darlene, the scene played out as follows. So she, this is how she described the scene. Okay. Brianna isn't feeling well. She has a sore throat and is asking for tea. She wants to rest. It's the day after Christmas, 2011, about 6.45 p.m., Suddenly, Brianna is getting dressed. She's putting on a magenta t-shirt and a gray sweater. She's wearing jeans and tan boots and perfume. She wants to go buy some cough drops and meet her boyfriend, maybe grab some fast food. Her five-year-old daughter, Janelle, is playing with bubbles in the tub. Brianna's 11-year-old sister, Rachel, is there too. And in the bedroom, Brianna's other daughter, Jade, who is one, is, um, you know, doing her thing being being a one-year-old being a one-year-old um so darlene handed brianna a five dollar bill she doesn't like her daughter's boyfriend but she shrugs it's the holidays like okay yeah go meet your boyfriend yeah um she nods and says that you know when you get back maybe we can watch a movie uh brianna assures her you know i'll return soon and walks out of the unit down a flight of stairs and into the street god damn it uh, Brianna wouldn't return home that night, and her mother would later report her as missing. God damn it. Yeah. She actually lived less than a mile away from Michelle in the same Lincoln <gasps> Heights neighborhood. And when Brianna went missing eight months after Michelle, the neighborhood was on high alert for a serial killer. Yeah. Like, something's I get it. fucking going on. These young women are going missing. This is in our home, in our backyard. Um, Brianna's stepfather took to looking for a body, riding his bike along the Los Angeles River and checking in dumpsters. But Darlene, her mother, led daily search parties for a daughter that she imagined was alive and in need of help. She mentally prepared to support Brianna through rehab or therapy or, like, whatever Whatever she needed. Whatever was going to happen. you know, she had... Clearly, she had been kidnapped and was going to need all the help she could get. And Darlene is going to be there for her daughter every step of the way. Oh, Darlene. She printed thousands of flyers and loaded up friends and family members into the back of a borrowed truck. And they hopped on highways, exiting to canvas neighborhoods and questioned store owners, you know, asking them... Have you seen this girl? Can we hang a flyer in your window? Would you call if you hear anything? Like, just, you know, searching the city for her yeah, daughter. Yeah, just trying to find her daughter. Because Los Angeles, I mean, it's, Los Angeles is a city of 4 million, but the metro area is, I think, something like a 9 or 10 million. Yeah. Like, it's huge. No, that's, I, that is so many fucking people. That, yeah. I mean, I can't. I cannot imagine how much ground they covered, how many places they went to and people they talked to. Yeah. During all of this, Darlene's wearing a t-shirt that has Brianna's face on it, just hoping someone's going to recognize her and say, you know, oh, I know that girl. Um, and, or like I've seen her. Or yeah. Something. And she's also confronting gang members. Like, Darlene's not fucking scared. She's walking up to people she knows could possibly be dangerous. And it's like, she's do a you badass know where my mom. daughter is? Oh, absolutely. Total badass mom. Absolutely. 
Um, and she was hanging up banners, giving out her personal cell number. I mean, she's... Doing everything she can. Everything. She's... God, she's badass. So, she's also firing off emails to acquaintances who are as far away as, like, New York, Washington, Colombia, Spain, Australia. I mean, she's fucking emailing the world. Also, she knows a lot of people. She does. You go, Darlene. Like... Tapping every resource. Every resource. As you would. Um, I love her. Sorry, sorry. I'm saying I love how um, proactive she is being Mm -hmm. in trying to do absolutely everything she can. Not that any other mother wouldn't do the exact same. It's just I'm I'm just feeling for her right now. But it's the amount of hope and just positivity that she has in doing this is fucking inspiring because like her husband Brianna's stepdad is like you know looking for a body and like okay that's practical I guess but Darlene is like no she's alive I'm gonna find her yeah just that positive attitude of no no this is gonna we're gonna be okay yeah we just have to find her yeah so she's emailing all these people and tell them you know please print out this attached handout make copies post them anywhere everywhere you can um you know, she's globally, you know, people in fucking Australia are printing out these posters, posting them because yeah. fucking maybe she got on a plane. Who knows? knows? Who exactly. knows? Exactly. Anything could have I mean, happened. she's a young mom. Maybe she was overwhelmed with her life and Yeah. I get I get Darlene's thought process. Yeah, absolutely. So with this canvassing, with this outreach she's doing, dozens of strangers call her and say, you know, Oh, I saw your daughter. Uh, but the details were always off. You know, wrong height or a description that didn't really make sense. Gosh. It wasn't her. How um, heartbreaking every time you answer the phone. Mm. Yeah. But as overwhelming as everything was, Darlene said that she liked having tasks to focus her frantic energy and her wandering mind. Of course. Yeah. You know, keeping, you know, being able to do something about it and feeling like you're doing something meaningful and making process. I totally get it. Yep. Um, like it, to her, it wasn't busy work. It was finding her daughter. Um, years later, she would recall in a shaky whisper, I thought I would find her. Oh. On Wednesday, January 15th of 2012. Um, so Nearly just. a year. No, a no. month. Oh, sorry, that was December. I was thinking of the other... That was in April. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so just over... Or just under a month later. Jesus. um, On the two-freeway on-ramp near Riverside Drive in Echo Park, a partially clothed unknown woman's body who had been dumped there uh, was found in a bush about 9 a.m. by the California Highway Patrol officers. Damn it. Uh, due to the state of the remains, uh, the investigators were not immediately able to, like, identify who it was. Yeah. But a Gemini tattoo on the back of the victim's neck helped. Because Brianna and her mother, Darlene, had gotten the matching symbols a few birthdays ago. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So, at that time, because this is, again, in... This is an Echo Park, which is very close by. Right. Um, so when Darlene heard the helicopters and the commotion in the neighborhood that morning, 
she didn't really think anything of it um, mm-hmm. because it was at this point exactly a month since her daughter disappeared and she's planning a vigil that night to like reinvigorate interest to go find Brianna. Yeah. And it turned out that they did find yeah, her. They found her, but they found her body. Um, and this is where there are some, you know, a lot of the connections start to become more apparent. Okay. Um, you know, both women are young Latina women from Lincoln Heights. Yeah. They shared similar builds and looks, and they both disappeared during a walk to a nearby store. God. Um, you know, Brianna was walking to the right aid to get some fucking cough drops and cold medicine. Yeah. And, um... Michelle's walking to the store after Easter. Like, so they both had that. And both bodies were found uh, to be left um, out on the side of freeways. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I. (sighs) This is. A lot. (laughs) Yeah, we, um. I mean, we never pick a light cases, but. There are definitely some cases, I think, that are easier to research than others. And maybe that's fucked up, but... No, it's true. Also, I think because some cases offer more information, and the more information you can find, the more difficult those cases are to hear. Yeah. And to to research. I, I get it. Yeah. So, um, Brianna had also been sexually assaulted before being murdered and dumped. Um, Very similar to Michelle. Yeah. And the Los Angeles Police Department's high-profile robbery homicide division uh, took over both of the investigations. Um, But they did have trouble making progress. Um, It took some time, but eventually the authorities would later link Brianna's and Michelle's killings through forensic evidence. Uh, they oh could see God. that you know, the DNA in both cases came from the same killer. Yep. Um, so investigators went through exhaustive protocols that were set up by the state attorney general's office to request a familial search because while they did have Um, the attacker's DNA, it had not been found in any existing state or national criminal databases. Oh. So, they have his DNA, but it's not a match for anyone they have. Finally, they were, you know, the state allowed them to conduct the familial search um, to find DNA that maybe was a partial match or was a link so they could, you know, have some kind of pool of subjects or yeah. suspects. Yeah. Um, so after conducting the familial DNA search in April of 2017, okay, they discovered a link to a 32-year-old named Giovanni Borjas. The DNA of Borjas' father was in the state's crime database and they matched it to DNA found at crime scenes of his father's. Oh, um, wait, so it was... Oh, okay, okay. Well, it 
the DNA that they found on uh, Michelle and Brianna was not a match right. to the father's DNA, but it was close enough for the detectives to start trailing his son, Giovanni, um, to possibly so his... collect his DNA. So, like, the dad was a criminal and potentially the son was too? Yeah. Yeah. So, the dad had been arrested for, um, I believe like domestic violence um, and other crimes in the past. And so his DNA was on record. And when they did the familial search, you know, they saw it was partial match and was like, okay, we know it's not dad, but it, you know, it, maybe it's his brother or son or whatever. And so they zeroed in on Giovanni. Yes. His son. Yep. Um, so Giovanni was followed by investigators, um, and during the pursuit, he at one time spit on the sidewalk, and that was enough. Oh that my god! Spit was collected and tested, and the DNA matched evidence that linked <gasps> him to both of the killings. The ways that investigators collect DNA fascinates me. Oh, it's insane! I because I've read stories where like they'll be trailing someone. And they'll like throw away a coffee cup. Yeah. And that's their, that's no, yeah. all they need. Napkins or again, Golden State Killer, door handle of car at Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Like it's, it blows my mind just how dedicated they are to this. Yep. So on Thursday, May 25th of 2017, um, a little over six years. After the killing of Michelle and five and a half years after Brianna's killing, uh, Giovanni was arrested in his home in Torrance, California, which is a L.A. suburb. Yeah. Uh, where he lived with his family on the suspicion of murder. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. And the people that arrest him that arrested him were the LAPD's um, elite robbery and homicide division and the tactical Metropolitan Division officers. So it was multiple divisions like working together yes. to oh, fucking catch that. this guy. You know how much I love when divisions work together now? Because back in the day, you know, you think like 60s, 70s, early 80s, police districts were not working together. Mm-mm. No, and in places when it would become, and I think in some cases it's still like this, but it becomes like a pissing match. Of like, well, this is our territory. No, this is ours. No, this is ours. I know. And it's like, fuck your territory. Solve the case. Right? I'm like, I don't give a fuck who gets recognized for this. Who the the person who signaled the arrest. I just want it to happen. Yeah. And happen correctly. And having three offices work on it versus one. You cover more ground. You do so much more. Yep. Yeah. So, he was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of rape, and one count of kidnapping. God. And at his arraignment, he pleaded not guilty, mm-hmm. but was ordered held without bail. So... Oh, no bail. No bail. Good. He's not getting out of there. Yeah. Yeah. The judge was, like, say that he, even though he... His attorneys were saying, like, oh, he's a family man, he has a job, he's not going to run... The judge was like, uh, fuck no. Uh, no, he's staying in jail. Like, motherfucker, DNA, evidence. 
Got him. I'm the judge. I'm not the fucking jury, but no bail. No, no bail. bail for you, asshole. So, on Wednesday, May 30th of 2018... Oh, so not long ago. No, this year. Not long ago at all. The prosecution announced that they will be pursuing the death penalty against Giovanni for the sexual assault, kidnapping, and murder of Michelle Lozano and Brianna Guzman. Wow. Yeah. The murder charges actually do include the special circumstance allegations of multiple murders, murders during the commission of rape involving both victims, and murder during the commission of a kidnapping for uh, Brianna. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. I'm really interested to see what happens. I want to continue following Mm -hmm. this case. Yeah, it's definitely still... It's still ongoing. Yeah, I mean, um, yes. Yeah, that happened recently. So, I guess he's about to go to trial now? Well... Is it going to go to trial? Well, so the case... It will. But I'll, I'm getting there. Um, so, this case actually marks the second time that the Los Angeles police have relied on a familial DNA search. Uh, which... Familial DNA searches can narrow down the search for a suspect to a particular family, and it can point detectives to suspects whose DNA, like, might not yet be in the database. Um, Like, in this case, Giovanni's DNA was not in any existing database since uh, prior to his arrest, but his father's was. So they can kind of patchwork link it together to okay, this is the family we need to focus on well, and have he, a smaller pool of suspects. Right, but he spit on the concrete and they identified that that was him, right? Yes, yes. But before, when they were doing the familial okay, DNA search, okay. that's when they knew kind of to focus on uh, Giovanni's family. Yeah. And so they started trailing him, got his saliva, and got an exact DNA match. Got it, got it. Yeah. So... Interestingly, the only other case in which the LAPD has used or at this time, had used familial DNA was the Grim Sleeper serial killer case. Oh. Which the Grim Sleeper was a fucking monster. He murdered women from, uh, I believe, the mid-80s until, I want to say the 2000s. Jesus. Um, And I believe he was taken in on uh, 10 counts of murder. Shit. I remember one story where one of his victims, he had shot her in the chest, um, and he jumped, or she jumped out of his moving car, and she wound up surviving. Like, she... go, girl. She fucking... God, I... This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I recently joined the, um, a Facebook group that's, I think it's Austin Murderinos. Yes. And yes. I'm in that one too. I were, invited you to that one. Yes. Okay. I was like, <laughs> I feel like you know, but, but yeah, you invited That's me. That's why. So I will read some of the stories and comments people post. And a lot of it is from so many just strong women. And they'll tell their stories about how they were attacked yeah. and got away or they fought back or, and even little things. One that I read the other day was about a woman wanting going to a gas station to buy pepper spray because she recently moved here and uh you know asking the clerk oh do you sell pepper spray yeah him being like oh no we don't but you don't even need to worry austin's like the third safest city in the u.s 
And she was like, um, no, first, it's not. Two, you know, shit happens everywhere. Yes. It's kind of like we were saying fucking earlier. Shit happens everywhere. Everywhere. And um, also, of course, this clerk was like a tall white man, so he can feel safe anywhere. Yep. And it, it just... It's so eye-opening how so many people don't get it, how a lot of men don't get it. I mean, I didn't for a long time until I talked to a lot of my friends that well, are women. And- yeah, and, and like, sorry, um, we talked about it in one of our episodes about how you would go out on nightly walks yeah. and how I would never in a million years imagine doing that. Because that, that's something that doesn't, I don't think about. And, you know, I'm I'm someone who like has been victim to an attack before but it's it's still not something that is societally like put into me yeah that i should be aware of and think about i'm definitely more aware and think of it now but even still you know i wouldn't carry pepper spray like that's not that's not something i would think about and i definitely Um, have and the idea of, you know, when you're walking to your car at night or when you're walking anywhere at night, holding your keys I do in that. your fist. Like, that's I not that. something I think about. I Every time I am walking outside to my car after leaving a bar or something, mm-hmm. I have my keys with one of them in between my fingers. Yeah. As... As as, as as a, a weapon, stabbing as weapon. a to keep yourself safe, yep. it blows my mind how many men don't get it or are so quick to be like, "That's not how I feel," so you must be wrong. And it yeah. blows my mind. It so one of the things that pisses me off more than anything is people assuming their perspective or their experience is the experience. That yes, theirs is universal, and it's something that as People, naturally, that's what we do. We use the evidence we have to make generalizations. That's how we fucking live. Yeah. And so, yeah, your first instinct is going to be like, you know, oh, you know, my waiter was rude to me, so my waiter's an asshole. Like, that, you're going to make that generalization because that is your experience. Right. But it's fucking not. Right. And just because you have not experienced something or you feel safe walking to your car at night. Doesn't mean doesn't everybody mean, does. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everyone does. It doesn't mean that that is the experience. And it makes me so fucking mad when you try to explain people to people um, a point of view that they don't have or an experience right. that you've had and they don't. And they dismiss it completely because that's not what they've seen. And I'm like, go Fuck yourself, you blind bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Totally. I don't even have anything to add because I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I have something to add, and it's more wine to my glass. Definitely. Anyways, um, getting back to this case. So, yes. The only other case that they've solved with at this time was with familial DNA was the Grim Reaper. Sleeper case, uh, in which they used a discarded pizza crust oh, to shit. collect DNA that linked the killings to Lonnie David Franklin Jr., 
who was convicted and sentenced to death in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. So back to my case, Giovanni is due back in a downtown Los Angeles courtroom on August 17th for a pretrial hearing. So that is coming up in... Just a little bit. Not that long. And we're going to have to keep up with that. And maybe... Yeah, I'm going to say it. Maybe our... uh, Patreon subscribers are going to know what we discovered. Just kidding. They can totally Google it themselves. But I'm I know. just saying. But no, I think but we should definitely... it might be a definitely... part of our murder mini or a special Patreon yeah. episode. I think having a follow... I think doing a follow-up on... In general, doing a follow-up on these cases is great. I will say, if there is a follow-up, if something happens to Georgia Cruz case, that shit's going to be a fucking full-ass episode. Yeah, we're going to talk about that <laughs> and cover that and... Um, yeah. Yeah. So, that is the murders of Michelle Lozano and Brianna Guzman. That is my cold case recently solved. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was a lot. And, Mm -hmm. um, do we want to just roll into our postmortem? Let's do it. Okay. So, just high-level overview. Mine was Beth... Bromlett, and she was murdered in Axtell, which is outside of Waco, by her friend's father. Um, the unfortunate thing about this case is that he passed away before they discovered he did it. Yeah. And that drives me insane. Yeah. And mine, again, murders of Michelle Lozano and Brianna Guzman, who were both kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and murdered disposed of off the side of the freeway. God. Uh, both of them young. I mean... Well, they were... Yours... She was young, too. Um, but All these I think young women. what kills me is... I don't know what kills me more. The fact that Michelle was 17 and just so young and so much ahead, or the fact that Brianna had, was so young as well, but also had two children i know who were she was a mommy and like her one-year-old will remember her through pictures and stories will not know her like that that fucking kills me yeah um but again with my case thankfully they do have a dna match and the the trial the court is starting soon yeah yeah well, I could take off points for the fact that yours is not completely done and solved, but that's I won't. okay. I won't because yours. Mine has um, a complete DNA like, evidence. So. It was like two people. Yeah. And um, well, I think with yours being two two crimes recently solved and this this guy is going to trial um i'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of your case and so i think i'm going to give you this one i'll accept it i think this one's a bittersweet win i know i was at the at the beginning i was excited to was excited you know "Ah, i'm gonna win but now after going through it to go you know your case too i I don't know. This one was hard. Of course. They're all bittersweet wins. They they are, but this one... Our wins are so arbitrary, and it's just to... I mean, to be completely honest, it's just to 
you know, differentiate between who picks a wine and who picks a topic because all of these crimes are quote-unquote winners because they're all awful, you know? Yeah. And No, I totally agree. So I just want to, like, interject that, you know, we're on episode 10 and we, it's by no means ever a real contest between the two of us. Yes, no, that is very true. It's more about just the information and who, I guess, proposes the information that's more of interest in the moment. More, yeah, maybe, I don't want to even say more impactful because they all are. I know. But well, yeah. So, I I do want to take a moment that to just mention to to pivot away from this and go to something a little yeah. little more light. Pivot from the darkness, um, please. And you know, if you, I just want to say, you know, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoy our podcast in general, um, you know, please, please do rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, like. You know, yeah. let us let us know your feedback. Um, we yeah. love. I mean, we love. We got we got uh, a review a couple weeks ago that made me smile because it was talking about how their new favorite word is booze trash. <laughs> Not something I thought about since I think what episode one. Something <laughs> episode like one. that. I don't even remember but when you said that. I don't either. But I'm like, mm, yeah, we do. We are pretty booze trash. Well, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to us. Um, please, like Ty said, rate, review us. It will help us pop up higher in listings, and you'll get to find our episodes easier and mm-hmm. share it with your friends. Let everyone know that you're really interested in blood and wine and help us get the word out because we love doing this, and we will continue doing this, and we just want more people to be able to be here with us and be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I, you know, kind of going off that same topic, you know, like and follow us. We, you know, follow us on SoundCloud, subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. Um, I know on iTunes, you can download our episodes to kind of listen to them whenever you yep. feel like it. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't have an Android, so I don't know exactly how Google Play works. I think you can download them there as well. And also, we're on um, Twitter, Blood and Wine Pod, Instagram, Blood and Wine Pod, and we're setting up a Facebook page. So that'll be Blood and Wine Podcast. Make sure and find us and like us and share your stories. We'd mm-hmm. love to hear your stories. Email us, bloodandwinepodcast at gmail.com. So there's like yeah. a million different avenues to there get really hold is. of us. So, but we would love to hear from y'all and yeah. just help us. You know, start the conversation. Yeah. We'd love to chat with y'all. Yeah, if there's a case you'd like to hear, a wine you'd like us to feature, you know, something, anything you'd like us to mention, let us know. Yeah, because you know, at the end of the day, we're doing this for you guys, yeah. and we love getting to sit here and chat about true crime. It's one of the things that, as I've mentioned, I love how it's become something that's more acceptable nowadays to chat about. And um, we love having this conversation with you. We do. I mean, we we enjoy doing this for us so much. But, God, we love being able to do it for you as well. Yeah. So, well, with that... XOXO. XO, this is Blood One signing off. All right, love all y'all. Bye. Bye.